What do today's fastest growing direct consumer brands all have in common? They use Klaviyo to personalize their marketing, build their customer relationships, and automate their online sales. Whether it's a new subscriber or your most loyal customer, growing your e-commerce business starts with creating amazing marketing experiences. Discover winning marketing strategies in Klaviyo's new video series, Ready, Set, Grow. Each week, you'll explore key tactics of some of Klaviyo's more than 17,000 customers who use these to grow their business. So tune in to Ready, Set, Grow, and to receive even more helpful content, visit klaviyo.com slash blend. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash B-L-E-N-D. So one of my colleagues told me that he actually got blacklisted from ASOS last year. And it was actually down to the amount of returns that he'd sent. And I think probably at the time, look, I joked that he probably needs to be a bit clearer on his style. It's certainly a problem as a retailer, I think, that many are facing. And we've also had high-profile brands like Zara indicating they're going to be charging returns. So the thing is, these really are fixes. But I guess the real question is, that I want to ask, is well, what do we actually do to reduce returns from the outset? And that's exactly what we're going to tackle today with our guests. So Hussein Maleki is the founder and president of Satel Creative, and he works with Shopify brands to improve performance of the Shopify sword. So Hussein, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Adam. No, it, look, it's a pleasure. And, you know, I, we were talking, obviously, before we started recording, I was saying, look, I don't feel like we've talked about returns enough on this show. And I think, you know, one of the things I guess that is a burning question for probably a lot of our listeners is when it comes to returns, we guess, I know it, it's going to be a necessary evil of, of e-commerce in a way, but is there like an acceptable level of returns you would say for, let's say, an apparel brand on Shopify? And that's a really great question. Uh, I think that people are paying more attention to returns right now, which is good. In terms of acceptable rate, right now, an apparel brand on Shopify Plus uh, typically ranges between 20%, which would be really good for them, um, to all the way to 40%. Now, to me, that's a huge problem. Uh, most brands cannot um, set up systems that they can really take these returns and resell them. It's not an easy thing to do. So to me, an acceptable rate to start would be what we have at uh, brick and mortar returns, which is about 8.99%. So, so to me, that that's the goal that we should get to. Uh, I think it's it's a necessary evil, but I do not like accepting it as something that, hey, let's just make it easier for the customer. Let's just make it easier on the logistics and forget about all the other costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, is is that when we think about returns too, it's you know, a lot of Shopify brands, you know, a lot of e-commerce brands in general, they have a lot of pressure on their operations. And I think, yes, like you say, you know, it, it is, of course, that that natural thing you think of, well, look, you know, what do we do with the returns? How do we reprocess and repackage and get the sale again? But it's also the administration side of that and the time, I guess, that takes that that really is a, a bit of a killer as well, isn't it, for margins? Absolutely. I mean, think about it. Um, we've paid so much attention to making it easy on the logistics for the merchants, which is good. You know, as a merchant, I don't warehouse things in the place that I work, which most people like 
you know, even on the bigger merchant side, work from home, but then they have warehouses everywhere. They work with these three PLs, but returns don't get processed the same way that it used to, which was like, okay, one warehouse out comes back to the same warehouse. And then again, conditions and things of that nature as well. So it's not um, an easy process to deal with, especially when a merchant's goal is to grow and sell more, uh, which is like the right thing to focus on. I mean, I know obviously you you deal a lot with with obviously merchants that are looking at this problem specifically. In terms of what you've seen, and also I guess in terms of your experience, what what do you think the main driver is on returns? Like, what causes you know are, are there certain things that brands do that cause returns, or things that they don't do, for example, that cause a higher amount of returns? So I think there's a few things at play here. Um, uh, one of them is that. Essentially, the internet factor. When when you're behind a computer, uh, you don't feel a connection to the brand. You don't feel a connection to the people or the the things that this might affect. Your actions might affect. So it's really easy as a as a customer to say, "Hey, I'm going to buy five things, and then I'm going to try uh, all of them and maybe keep one." Um, and and again, like making returns really easy logistically on the customer uh, has been kind of adding an incentive for that kind of behavior. And I often argue that um, customers don't necessarily like that either. You ask a lot of people, they don't want choice. If you tell them the story of that brand that they're shopping from, if the brand tells their story better, people don't want to do that to that brand. So so it's like, you know, um, you know, as a customer, I don't like it when I go to a restaurant and I have too many choices that are really good. I'm like, okay, you know, I'd rather have like one really good one and stick with it. So, so I would say that those are the behaviors that we've created. And again, you know, it can, in my opinion, it can be adjusted that really drives those high return percentages. Again, 40%, that's really a burden on businesses and a, a huge burden on the environment as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, what, what I really like about that as well is, look, you know, I, I guess what you're saying there too is that the returns factor is down to, again, it's that customer experience that they're getting, and it's also that relationship. And I guess you know, this is—I know ASOS, you know, particularly in the UK, has had a very big problem with this. And I guess you know, if I if I think about that ASOS experience, it's not a very customer-centric experience. It is a product-centric experience, and I think it's really powerful. What you said because I think a lot of the time when brands think about returns what they think about are things like size guides or, you know, having 3D modeling on on the product page so that you can see a product in. But although those things will obviously have an impact, I don't think that that whole customer experience piece of actually that connection have the brand is being thought of enough. And I don't think that when people think of customer experience and their brand, they understand necessarily that impact is going to have. So I think a lot of us can re- can reflect on that point. So yeah, thank you for, for, for sharing that. And, I think yeah, the the other thing, you know, that I want to talk about here, I guess as a follow-on, is that you mentioned that connection with the brand. And I guess side by side with that is is kind of this concept of loyalty and and how loyal customers react differently. Absolutely. So so that's a that's a huge factor in success of uh, merchants. And that's something that if they do uh, focus on, uh it will definitely help with driving down returns as well. You know, they did a study of like very successful merchants that within the three years, uh, their sales went uh, hockey stick because, you know, the first two to three years is always uh, very similar for successful brands. After that, 
brands can go a steady, slow growth, or they can do the hockey stick. And those ones that did, their uh, most loyal customers or quote unquote super fans, they bought from them seven times a year. So that's a very good indication of like what makes a brand as well. So now how do you do that? It's not as easy as like, oh, I have a really good product or I'm very competitive on price. Uh, what really works in that, and we know that now, is like the story and the connection you have with your customer. So, so those super fans are the ones that they sell for you at parties with their friends. Uh, those are the ones who um, are participants in your social media, in the community that is around your product and your brand. Those are the ones who know where your offices are or where your store is, and they care about it enough that they want to support you in any way that they can. You know, everybody in this world, they buy from um, Amazons of the world. And we all feel guilty about it. Like, you know, there are people who are really like, you know, angels and like they really stick to like, you know, going to their local source to buy things, but everybody does it. But then that doesn't mean that we don't want to support brands that we care about. You know, there are brands in Vancouver that are um, now growing really big, but I just, you know, I'm a huge fan of them and the local factor of them is still like that has that connection with me and I buy from them all the time, you know? So, so I think that that's, the piece that I think every merchant can work on, which is in line with their growth uh, goals, but then at the same time, it can really help uh, with customer loyalty in a way that returns will get reduced as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, one one of the things that I love there, Hassan, is is when you talked about loyalty, you didn't actually you didn't mention loyalty programs or, or loyalty apps once, and you know, I think look, loyalty apps and loyalty programs, I think probably can help develop that loyalty but i think more of what you're talking about here is it's that deep connection because i guess with the loyalty program you're still working on this kind of transactional relationship like you know you buy something you get points or you get discounts what you're talking about more is the brand positioning the brand messaging and the communication which is a lot deeper and i guess it's more difficult to do what you're saying is that that has the then effect of your bottom line and also, I guess, your ROI on the business. Absolutely. It's like, think think about like, you know, raising a kid and, you know, fine enough, I don't have a kid myself, but I do have all my friends having kids. So I've been very close uh, to them being uncles to all these kids is that, you know, th- there's no easy way to educate these kids in a good way by just handing them a phone and saying like, hey, do it. Phone is a very powerful tool that has a lot of education things in it that like you can, you know, work with your kid on. But it's the same thing. Like you can have loyalty apps. They're great tools, but like, that's not enough. You really do have to do the work. You know, it's like you don't build a website and they come. I mean, those people who will come there, they're not going to be long-term customers. They're going to buy from you only like, you know, one time, maybe twice. That's not going to make your business. It might make you happy for a little while, but like what will make your business is those little customers and what it takes. Yeah, use the tools, but then communicate with your customers at every touch point that you have. Be there for them, make connections, understand what they're looking for and really tell them your story. That's like a really big thing. What differentiates those dropship businesses and like, you know, businesses that, you know, really are uh, very transactional from real brands is that storytelling. The brands have that on their side that none of those big businesses can can ever compete with. Hmm. No, totally, and, and I think you know this is another kind of thing you know that we we need to think about a bit more. Is you know we've had we had obviously this crazy boom in e-commerce during that we won't we won't say the c word, but we know what it is during that period. And then I think it's that that level of expectation 
from e-commerce businesses now is is a lot higher from a customer's point of view. And I guess, you know, this is where this really kind of comes into play of actually making sure that you're spending that time to find that information. And I think what when when you're talking, the other thing that's kind of spring to mind too is that, and I think this is a bit of a, a problem in e-commerce, we always focus on quantitative metrics. We don't focus enough on qualitative metrics. So if you're looking at things like, you know, MPS scores, if you're looking at things like, you know, customer surveys, you know, actually getting on the phone with customers, all of that helps you in terms of what you're saying of building that better relationship with that customer, but also with the others. And that then is feeding into this kind of bottom line number. So I think, you know, those people may be a bit more skeptical of, right, you know, sitting down to do that qualitative research. What you're talking about here is actually giving a number that you can associate with that, which sometimes I think is quite a hard thing to do. Absolutely. And I think it's a culture that if you set to focus on that, then everybody on your team follows the same thing, right? Like if you say, hey, like, you know, I will never leave a customer unhappy, even though these are just users that are hitting my website and like, you know, sort of not disconnecting yourself from that customer, not like, you know, lifting your ear from the ground, understanding them, then then everybody on your team does that. I see brands that don't do that. And then you see their customer service. They're like, well, we had a hundred orders that were stuck for three weeks. Well, that's a really bad experience. But like if the, if that, you know, sort of precedence is set and that culture is within the company, then it is, you know, sort of like, then your team is going to come to you and say, Hey, let's do a user research with our customers. Let's get a group of them in the room. Like, you know, everybody will bring you that feedback. Again, it's something that I think, you know, it's a mindset that I see with successful brands that they do, uh, no matter how big they are. I mean, just, just on the, the kind of the idea, well, I don't want to talk to you a bit more about the mechanics of return in a second, but in terms of that strategy, you know, that we've started seeing brands like Zara, uh, H&M, I think are talking about it, obviously, um, you know, ASOS kind of have a, a blacklisting system. What's your kind of take on those brands charging for returns? So um, I think, you know, it's a shame that those are the brands that are starting to do it. And, and, and it's also a good thing. Because like the the key thing is that like those are the brands that you know that's their only value and like you know when they 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 uh, see this opportunity and then they go for it. But again, the good thing that they're doing it is going to set the trend because I personally think that returns should be a bit harder. And you know like when when we have these levers of pressure, yeah, it might make the experience a little bit less enjoyable when you do have to return. But then it makes you think what you're buying and. Um, you know, really like enjoy that decision. I, I know a lot of people, including my own mother, who like when she makes a decision, she regrets it for months on end and like thinks about it like a million times. And, um, you know, obviously she goes to brick and mortars and returns things like, you know, five times and things like that. And I think that if she knew that she didn't have the option, I think it would give her a little bit of peace of mind. So I think that's like something that, you know, if it goes towards that trend, um, I think that customers will will live with it and i think that everybody will be better off for it mm. you know i on on this subject so you mentioned there about kind of you know brick and mortar versus online um i actually heard about a business proposal of a company in the uk who were thinking of setting up a service where online brands who didn't have a physical presence um would essentially kind of franchise a service to local uh, news agents local shops I guess, you know, where you would go and kind of pick up a parcel from 
to kind of have a place to actually go and submit a return. Um, what, what's your your take on that? You think that's a, a solid idea? You think it's not so solid? I thought it was interesting, I think, is, is my take on it. It, it. it is definitely interesting. I think like anything that gives like a, you know, uh, a smaller brand, like a, you know, uh, up and coming brand, like a, a leg up, I think that's like a good thing. Um, however, like, you know, again, you know, creating the trend that makes it easier to return, um, um, I'm against. However, again, you know, these are like brands that, you know, they are more conscious than the big corporations that, you know, sort of, again, have that transactional relationship anyway. So I, I rather like the brands of today that are really growing fast and doing well on Shopify Plus, I, I really, or not on Plus yet and will be, I rather those brands uh, get an advantage uh, because again, they will be the ones who will have that customer loyalty. Those are the ones who I care about. And I think most customers care about too. So I think it would be better for everyone, but you know, um, again, mixed feelings. I think the trend should go towards like returns being harder. <laughs> I mean, I think the, the other kind of angle of this now, and just looking obviously at the world market is going, we do also now have a lot of brands who are offering kind of trade-in services or kind of pre-loved items that they've kind of processed and you know allow customers to to, to obviously bring them back in. You know, I was I was talking actually to an app over here called Turn who have recently launched where you can actually um, set up a, a, a system as a you know small or large Shopify brand to allow that to come in. So I guess the mechanics of it need to be kind of understood and, and be well worked out, regardless of whether you're looking at returns as a you know an option or something that you're trying to get customers to do to give products back to you. So on that subject of the actual process, the, the, the nitty-gritty, the nuts and bolts, to me, it's always felt like quite a, I guess, a clunky situation. Is there anything that brands can do from the outset to avoid that or, or fix so that it isn't such a, um, you know, laborious, clunky process for that? Yeah, um, I think that part is is uh, definitely something that should be improved regardless, you know, regardless of like how many returns you do or, you know, because even if you bring down your returns from 40% to 15% and now you're a champion of like returns, you, if you want to scale your business, that 15% is still going to be a lot of work. So to me, looking at automation these days is the way to go because again, anybody... And and all like you know, a lot of people have people who understand technical things, not developers necessarily. You know, can can automate things, and I think that's like something that you know, uh, it, it should be intuitive and it should be smooth for your team, for your customers, and everyone to go through a process. Now, that process might have again a fee on it, a return, but that doesn't mean that it should be hard for the customer or confusing or anything like that. And and again, in the back end, it should be very smooth. It should uh, be quick. It should you know, feel very natural in the steps that it takes. Um, and I think that, again, automating in the back end is going to really help in that regard. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think this is the thing you know, that I've particularly noticed over probably the past 12 months is that, you know, in terms of, I guess, the Shopify world, we've kind of been quite switched on to integrations with kind of marketing-focused apps so, you know, Clavio talking to your SMS provider and your SMS provider, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like now it's that back end or the back office type stuff, the operation stuff, 
and using the data, the integrations are there is something that I think people are getting more switched on to. I don't know whether that is because obviously look, as e-commerce is maturing, the complexity of businesses is is getting more so perhaps. Um, but but I definitely feel like that is something that, you know, particularly plus merchants are becoming more and more switched on to. It's it's a trend for the whole tech, and I really like it, which is like, you know, and, and to your point, I think uh, merchants are more and more really adopting it uh, because low code and no code is going to be the majority of backend um, development um, uh, in the future. And and uh, to your point, even uh, uh, Clavios of the world, they've added like automations on their own platforms, like Gorgeous has it and Clavio has it. And, and I think that, you know, Shopify Flow is like a really great example of, you know, the things that you can do with that. So as an example for one of our clients, there's certain things that we needed to do for one country's orders. And with Flow, we just sent those orders to like our backend to do something uh, versus like sending everything that that even like saved them a lot of costs too. And it was like a one day thing to get everything up and running. So it's a wonderland of like tech with mm-hmm. backend integrations at the moment. And I think that like people are catching on to it. And I say that it's really fun because it saves costs, it automates things. Um, you know, for example, there's so many uh, of like the flow of return that can be uh, just automated and then still at the same time have that, you know, connection and touch point that you you require. So I'm a huge fan. I'm very excited about this. <laughs> yeah, look, me too. I think you, you're spot on there because I think, look, next year, you know, in 23, you know, we've all seen what's been happening happening to acquisition. You know, everyone is focusing, I think, a little bit more on retention and loyalty than they were before. But I think, you know, what, like you pointed out there is, what's very closely linked to that is those back-end processes that then drive that customer experience for retention. And I think, you know, if you are someone listening as a uh, who is a plus brand, you know, you're probably going to be working with an agency, having a chat with them about that, about your back-end processes and the operations is probably a worthwhile thing to do because I don't think that is naturally something that brands tend to focus on, is it, with agencies? Yeah, that's a really good point. I think like, you know, where where that conversation comes up, usually it's when a brand really understands that, hey, they need to scale up and they start to fear. Like, you know, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, so many businesses that didn't adopt their technology to newer uh, setups, they really suffered because they got more online orders. That should never be the case. You should never fear having more orders. And and to to be able to do so, you have to have those backend systems really efficient, automated, and um, you know foolproof, so that you can only work and focus on edge cases and and problems, rather than really like you know being busy just running things that like computers should. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I want to just pick pick up on you mentioned there about obviously the clients that you work with and you know kind of orders from particular countries. You know, a lot of us will have probably seen that the big push that Shopify has been doing, particularly with Plus, about sort of cross border commerce uh, and trying to kind of help with that internationalization process. Obviously, that is going to make returns more tricky. But how can brands handle that? when they are doing cross-border? That's a really good question because, again, I think it's a very exciting opportunity for brands to be able to uh, go to, uh, you know, other countries and become like a global brand. But 
Um, my recommendation always to our clients is to do it one step at a time. Doesn't matter how big your brand, let's say, is in the US or in UK or Canada, really do it, you know, one step at a time in terms of pick one or maybe a couple of countries that you want to start with. And your data should be able to tell you like which one of these countries you want to start with. And then from there, uh, set it up right, really learn the rules. Like they're not that many. At the beginning, it might look overwhelming in terms of like the learning curve, but like when you get into it, it's very straightforward. And, um, you know, you learn like, you know, what's the rules around DDP, what are the limitations, you know, because every country has like a, a minimum and maximum amount that can be uh, on duties and taxes paid. And then there's, you know, country of origin and HS codes, work on those, create a system, create a process. Again, like when you work on it step by step and learn the rules, then you would have it a lot easier on the return side as well. Now, here's the key point that I recommend to our clients is that the career that you choose that you're going to work with, it, be it DHL or or uh, anybody else, uh, we work with DHL a lot, they can be your partner in this. So once you know the rules and you're on the same conversation level with them on what are you setting up, not only they would guide you through the rules, the rules changes, but they will also guide you through setting up your process of returns. Like my, my question always to them is like, you know, what's the best practices here? And um, I don't want to make things up for our client. And then they walk us through, they come up with like, you know, solutions. So it's one of those things that I think, you know, working with them as a partner really helps because again, any of these career services, like they actually have done this with many brands and they have a lot of knowledge there. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things here saying is, I think as before I've been talking, people are listening, there's probably a few people up with their head in their hands going, shit, you know, we have returns of 40% right now. I guess the, the role I want you to play right now is, is kind of imagine that you're kind of the, the doctor or the psychiatrist sat in the chair leaning back and kind of saying, right, you need to do these things. If you have someone sitting there, you know, listening to us and saying, look, my, my, I've got a returns problem. What would you say are maybe the first three things you would get them to do or get them to look at? For sure. So the uh, first thing I would say before I come up with the three um, is that, you know, if you have a return problem and you have a 40% return and you're a brand that, you know, created that environment that you have loyal customers that shop from you, but then again, they return on a high rate because you're in apparel, let's say, um, you already have some success, like, you know, great success there that, um, you know, you should be very happy about. That's a good problem to have again, like, you know, as, as cliche as they say. Now, to really like, you know, work on that problem now, I would say again, go back to your story. Why are, why are your customers connected to you? Um, really um, uh, work on content pages, landing pages, homepage opportunities um, to really tell that story, to stay connected with your customers, with the story in your newsletters. Don't just sell to them. Don't sell, sell, sell. Don't, you know, discount, 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 promo, 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 because Again, you lose that connection with them. You want to keep that. That's what made your brand. Um, I think it's really important. And and one of the things you brought up that is still very important is like the customer touch points. That's the second thing. I think that you uh, want to have the right messaging. To your point, a lot of people just focus on product messaging of sizing, size charts, and things like that. But I think that uh, messaging around um, um, you know rules, uh, uh, shipping times, and you know, just like removing like questions like from customers and having that like be like through and through in your emails and things like of that nature. I think that would be 
really um, helpful. And then the last one is that, again, um, it goes back to the relationship. It's like, you know, people use the customer service to just like, they're like, hey, let's put a robot there and like, you know, get them to just respond like, you know, uh, non-answers to customers. Uh, and some of them will be correct. But to me, it's like, yeah, you can use automation for, hey, like, where's my package? That's fantastic. But use customer service as a selling team now. You know, that's like, I see that uh, successful brands all the time that their customer service tools have become really good. Gorgeous has like an amazing, um, you know, sentiment, um, machine learning uh, feature that like it really like, you know, helps with, you know, categorizing like requests and things like that. Then you can really use it to sell more, but also build that customer relationship. So again, think about like what we talked about in terms of automations and really having better backend systems. When you have systems running smoothly, what you can focus on is that relationship, even at scale, even at like, you know, um, tens of thousands of checkouts per minute, which I hope like every merchant, every brand who, um, you know, is listening can get to. That's the key, in my opinion, is those three things. Well, that's really, really sage advice. And I think, you know, anyone could listen to saying, well, look, you know, where do I get that funding from to do that part? My honest answer would be is look at your acquisition spend because, you know, if you're looking at it from a business case point of view, if you can take the acquisition spend that you have right now and cut it down by, say, 10 to 15%, imagine what that could do from a retention and messaging piece like you mentioned there, saying, and then what that's going to give you from an ROI point of view. And I think oh, that's yeah. where the smarter brands are going to win next year by doing the things that you're mentioning there. But the money has got to come from cutting down on that acquisition that's not very efficient is kind of the, the spray approach, I guess I would say, and shifting over some of those funds into that retention piece, which which you mentioned. And essentially, like, that's a really great point because essentially what you're doing there is like you're changing priority a tiny bit. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like, you know, how we do it. It's like in the world of sports, everybody was like analytics is like the main thing and only thing that we're going to be successful on. And then like, you know, it turns out, no, you need to like evolve and go back to like having some of the human parts as well. And mm -hmm. and and those are the most successful who have both, uh, you know, taken care of. And I think it's the same thing here. I think to your point, it's like an evolution of like, hey, like we're really focused on that. Could we now a little bit focus on this too and the value would be exponential in terms of like, uh, you know, how how you can uh, be more successful going forward. Mm. Talking of, I guess, the human part, I want to talk about your company as well, just to run off Satel Creative. What are the kind of the plans for you guys in, in 2023? Um, yeah, so we, um, we've been at uh, Shopify Plus Agency since the start of the program. I think it was 2015. I've been working with Shopify since 2012. Uh, I started the company 20 years ago this month and uh, in retail software, accounting software, some web and product development for our clients. So during the pandemic, we've always wanted to build our own products as well. So during the pandemic, you know, we um, set out to build our own um, app as well. So we have like a theme that is coming out in the theme store. But what we're excited about is also like an app that we have called Together, which is actually designed for probably like, you know, um, smaller merchants than your listeners, but um, it's uh, designed to reduce returns for uh, merchants by um, giving an option for their customers to commit to a final sale. And with that, 
for them to get a discount code on their next purchase. So essentially it's like, you know, the value prop for the customers is commit to a final sale and help this business that you care about and uh, help the environment. Uh, there's, uh, I think, 5 billion tons of e-commerce waste every year uh, from returns. Um, right. And that's a huge cost to our planet. And then third, like get a discount code for the next order. So build some customer loyalty. So so we're excited about, again, you know, having a little bit of a dabble in our own products as well. Because again, we've been building great products. My team has been building great products for our clients. Awesome. Thank you very much. And I said, just obviously, people want to find out more about, obviously, the agency side and the app side. Where are the two places I need to go? Yeah, absolutely. So satellcreative.com, that's our website. We we always glad to uh, brainstorm on challenges and uh, collaborate if it's the uh, right fit. And also for the app, it's together.satellcreative.com. And uh, obviously it's on the app store as well. So thank you for, um, you know, sort of like mentioning that. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, guys, if you obviously in the gym, taking the kids to school, whatever you're doing, and you can't scribble that down, uh, just go ahead and have a look at the show notes on the listening platform of your choice. And that uh, all of the links that obviously Stan mentioned there will be listed as well. So um, I say, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for coming on and chance about this. Really nice, I guess, kind of see a different take on it and looking at that, you know, the strategy perspective rather than just the tactical. So yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for a really fun and fantastic chat. Good stuff. And guys, thank you very much for tuning in. If you have liked what you listened to today, do give us a like or a view on this little platform of your choice. And we'll be here again same time next week. We shall far across the pond. <laughs>